So we're starting a brand new series today called The Holy Spirit. Turn the person next to you and say, Holy Spirit. Now, they're not your Holy Spirit. That's just the title of the series. So I don't want you to get that confused. But with that being said, we're going to jump straight into this. And I have a couple of purposes. Um, first and foremost, today is um, actually when we celebrate uh, the day of Pentecost. Uh, the day of Pentecost was 49, 50 days Pentecost, uh, right after the, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we, um, we see that in the book of Acts, um, you know, we see that God had uh, passed over um, the sins of men by sacrifice. Jesus, his blood covers our sins. And then we see that the Israelites would, after Passover, 50 days later, they would celebrate the, 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 um, the Pentecost, which was a great celebration for them. And God, in his great wisdom, took care of that again in the New Testament by sacrificing his son on Passover, the spotted lamb, the spotless lamb, excuse me, that would take away the sin of the world. And then 50 days later, he poured out his Holy Spirit on, on uh, the disciples that were there uh, in Acts chapter 2. And so we're celebrating that as well as I want to begin to help you engage with the person of the Holy Spirit. I want to teach you his nature. We'll look into a little bit of his nature today. And in the days to come, I'll teach you how to interact with the Holy Spirit, that you could become the person that God's made you to be. And uh, I really want to kind of open with the Holy Spirit's kind of gotten a bad rap because people have misappropriated that relationship. And, uh, and so on. hopefully we can clean that up. And my goal is that at the end of this series or throughout this series, each and every one of us come into deep, real, authentic relationship, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So with that being said, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14, that's our key scripture. Jesus, uh, excuse me, Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he closes out the book of 2 Corinthians with this statement, verse 14. It's kind of a benediction. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, I've told you this before, but 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, these two books uh, in the New Testament, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, it's a church that he had planted, and um, they were, for the most part, Greeks. Uh, in other words, they were non-Jews who had received Jesus and had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians, he is smacking the fool out of them. He is whooping them of one side and down the other. Come on, you never got a text message like that or a voicemail like that. So that's what he's doing. I mean, he's correcting the fact that they call themselves spiritual, but they're fleshly and sexual and sensual. He's dealing with the fact that they're, when they do get together, they're super spiritual and they're having these dumb moments and having all these dumb things that they're doing with tongues and prophecy and this kind of stuff. So he's tightening all of that up. And in 2 Corinthians, he opens up with, wow, I'm paraphrasing, I can't believe you responded with such humility. He was kind of taken back because these were his sons and daughters in the faith, the church that he had planted, the people that he had ministered to and, and raised up and it had been a growing congregation. But now here he is in a situation. He's probably never coming back to them. So he's got to write these corrections and they responded and he became so excited about it. So second Corinthians is really kind of this encouragement piece. And then he closes out the last time he'll probably ever talk to these guys or officially write to them with what's called when we do a, 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 a you know, a, an organized meeting, like a, a, a funeral or some type of thing. We usually have a benediction, which is the closing prayer, the closing prayer concept, the piece
pieces of foundational pieces that we want to leave you with. And that's what he does. This is the last verse of the last chapter of the last time he's writing to the Corinthians. And again, let's look at it. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And what he does is he solidifies an understanding. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. Godhead, one, two, three. Triune being. Are the, are, you know, we, we call them the Trinity. Uh, we call God a trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And what he does is, as he closes out his benediction, he sets in order kind of their roles in our life. And let's look at that, and I'll put them, uh, I'll change up, I'll keep them in the order that he does. First off, God the Son. God the Son. Jesus' role in mind in your life is grace. Put that on the screen for him, please. There you go. God the Son. His role is grace. You and I are saved by faith, but it's because of his grace that he had upon it. You and I can't work for it. We become a Christian because of the grace that Jesus extends to us. Though we are sinners, though we don't deserve it, he extends grace. That's his role in our life, extending grace to us, extending grace to us. And then he says the next piece, and God the Father and the love of God the Father. May you have the grace of Jesus on a daily basis, every moment of your life. And may you understand the role of the Father. May you have the love of God the Father. See, some of you understand the grace. You came to Christ and you say, okay, I'm saved. But some of you have grown up in churches that taught you or relationships that taught you that you have to work for God's favor. He doesn't love you if you keep on sinning, if you make these mistakes, and, 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 and if you in Jesus and you don't do this for him and you're actually working for your salvation. It is by faith through grace in Jesus Christ that we're saved. The grace of God. Come on, somebody. It's by grace through faith in Jesus that we're saved. That grace was extended to you and me. We receive it freely, and some of you understand that. But some of you don't get the next level of relationship with God the Father, and that is that the God the Father's role is to, exp- is to exposit to us his love. And he so loved us that he gave us his grace message. He gave us his grace proponent, Jesus Christ. But you don't quite get the love of the Father. And that's why some of you, because you had a bad relationship maybe with your father growing up, you don't understand what real love is. And so that's why you're looking for love in all the wrong places. That, that's why. Because you don't really, your identity is not wrapped in the security that I'm loved. I'm a son. No matter what I do, he loves me. Even when I'm disobedient, he spanks me. Oh, yeah, I'm being spanked. But he spanks me because lo- I'm a son. I'm a daughter. And when you don't have that revelation, see, that's still not at work in your life. That's why you have some of these deep insecurities that are still driving you into foolishness and goofiness. And once you get that revelation, of course, we have the revelation of his grace. We come to Christ. We come to Jesus um, through his grace. We become Christians because of that grace. Then, all of a sudden, we become solid in our walk with God because we understand his love and his love on a day. Daily basis. So he's saying that you would get his love, the love of the Father. And then he says the third area or the third person of the Godhead, and that is that you would have fellowship, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, His love, God the Son, His grace, and God the Holy Spirit, fellowship. In other words, what you what you got to grasp is God the Father and God the Son are seated in heaven. Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm going to leave this earth, but I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit, and he will live and abide in you. He will convict you. He will strengthen you. He will comfort you. And my whole reasoning for this series is because I meet a lot of Christians at Church on the Hill who have no fellowship with the Holy Spirit, no daily interaction. I know that word fellowship, you don't use it very often in your day-to-day English talk back and forth with coworkers and friends. And, but that word fellowship, what we're talking about is interaction, relationship. 
deep abiding friendship, interaction, like you have your best friend that you're texting all throughout the day, like that person that you interact with more than anybody else. That is supposed to be the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. And with that will come some beautiful things, and we'll teach you throughout this series on some of those pieces. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter 19, we find that Acts chapter 19 is is, uh, this interaction that Paul has with the men of Ephesus. I want to read it to you here in a second, but let me set it up for just a sec, for just a moment. So in Acts chapter 19, we're already 20 years into Christendom. It's already 20, 21 years past the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came and poured out on all the disciples that were there in the upper room and they began to speak in other tongues and all these pieces that were beautiful. And so Paul and, and Apollos are out traveling doing a missionary journey. And let's pick up in verse 1 of Acts chapter 19. It says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Well, who do you have fellowship with? He's got to be thinking. So who's encouraging you? Who's giving you power to overcome sin? If you don't even know who the Holy Spirit is, how are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And so he asked them that. He said, so what baptism did you do? They said, John's baptism. He's like, whoa, wait a minute. So you've only been, you've been baptized. uh, John's baptism is just a baptism of repentance. That's the, John actually pointed and said, Jesus will baptize you with his Holy Spirit and with fuego del Espíritu Santo. He said, he will baptize, he says, he will baptize you with some, I can't, I'm just, I'm just saying, you want to, you don't want to be wicked anymore? Let's get baptized and say that to the whole world. He said, but there's one coming after me who will baptize you and with the Holy Spirit with fire, actually give you the ability to not live in sin. Actually, have fellowship with the Godhead. Have a relationship. See, minding your relationship that we call out to Jesus, Jesus doesn't live inside of you. I know they taught you that back in the day at, uh, at VBS somewhere, but that doesn't make any sense. You say, who lives inside of you, buddy? Come on, little sweetheart. Who lives? Jesus lives inside my heart. No, he doesn't. Jesus came in the form of a man. We beat him. We crucified him. He died. The Spirit of the, God, Spirit of the living God resurrected him from the dead. He, is, he, he came for about 40 days and showed himself to over 500 people. Then he ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. So who lives inside of us as believers? His Holy Spirit. That's who we're supposed to be having fellowship and interaction with. We'll see throughout the Scripture that it's the Holy Spirit living and abiding in me that's nudging me and speaking to me and giving me encouragement and strengthening me when I feel weak. This is the role. And if you don't have fellowship, no wonder you're sickly. No wonder you're weak. And so Paul's in this interaction. It's 20 years after Pentecost. He's finding these people, these dudes in Ephesus, they're trying their best to serve God. And he's like, oh, it's awesome. Way to go, man. You're disciples. He says, now, what baptism? Have you, been, have you received the Holy Spirit? What is that? What? And I'm not so sure that we don't have so much of that here in our congregation. Like, what? I mean, I go to church, right? What else is there supposed to be? No, 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 no. You, if that's all you understand, there's a whole other piece that you got to get. And that is that God loved you so much. He knew you could not be good in and of yourself. He knew that you couldn't live right in and of yourself. I, people tell me all the time, man, I, I tell you what, I, I love God, but I have a hard time not going back into sin. And I always ask him, do you have fellowship with the Holy Spirit? Is he living and abiding in you and giving you power? I, I don't even know what that means. Oh, so you have been going around trying to serve God in your own strength. No wonder, no wonder you can't stop slapping your wife around. No wonder you can't stop being embittered about the person who did you dirty three years ago. 
Yeah, you don't have any power to overcome. You don't have any fellowship with the Godhead on a daily basis to strengthen you, to empower you. And so he looks at him and he goes, listen. He said, John baptism was a baptism of repentance, verse 4. And he told the people, uh, he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. He laid his hands on them. He said, now receive the Spirit of the Lord. And the living God came and began to dwell within them, came upon them. They began to pray in other tongues. They began, they began to prophesy. God told me to tell you this. Dude, that's legit. How did you know that? I don't know. I mean, this cool experience is transpiring because they now have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, living and abiding in us. And this is at least 20 years after that day. And here's the problem. I know uh, your Bible is broke up into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament primarily is written in Hebrew. It's written in Hebrew and the New Testament primarily in Greek, because by that season of life, this is the primary language that the disciples and those who are followers of Christ, those who wrote, inspired by the, the Spirit of the Lord to write the Holy Scriptures, Greek. And this over here is Hebrew, those that we wrote over here. And so what, what has been translated, especially in the King James, when it, in reference to the Holy Spirit, uh, he's, been called, he, he's been called the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, if you were like me, when I first became a Christian, they were like, do you want the Holy Ghost? I'm like, uh, No. Like, uh, I think I'll take a step back here because I'm not sure what we're talking about, right? And the reason, reason that is because they got it out of King James Version, which uses both Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost, depending on different segments of, the na- of discussion of who the Holy Spirit is. Now, if you'll go back in your two original languages, Hebrew and in Greek, and we translate his name in the original way it was translated, Holy Spirit was translated, we translated those names to mean Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost which in our vernacular now has a little bit of creepiness to it. I saw Shining. I saw the Poltergeist. I saw Freddy and Krueger and all those things. I don't want no ghost in my life. I'm trying to be a Christian. And so that in and of itself will freak you all out, right? And, and so let's go back to the original verbiage or the original language and see now translated a little bit better the translation of the name or the who the nature of the Holy Spirit is. So number one, because in the name is the nature. Number one, in, in Hebrew, the name is Rock. Ruach, 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 ruach. Sorry, ruach. That's the name. And it means a wind, a breath, a violent, a blast of breath. I mean, it, the wind of God. And we see this in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. It says, and now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That word right there is the ruach word, the Ruah word, and that is the Spirit of God. The breath of God was hovering over the waters. The wind of God. Now let's look at it in Greek. Translated in Greek, the, Greek, or the original word that they were using was pneuma. Pneuma in the Greek, in the New Testament, which again is a current of air, a blast of breath, a strong breeze. So what happened is as they're translating these imageries of who the Holy Spirit is into our English language, it's a little hard to say God the Father, God the Son, God the breath. God the wind. Because it's not a complete translation to the way we think. Because in the Greek, in the Hebrew, it's not a substance. It's a hymn. It's a person with characteristics and nature. But part of his key component of 
who the Spirit of the Lord is, it's the breath of God. And Adam was there, and he was, he, he was a formless and without void. God took him from the dirt, and he made Adam. And then the Bible says, and then he blew in him the breath of life. And Adam came alive. The breath of God, the nature of who God the Holy Spirit is, is in, wrapped within the wind. And in these translations, and some of you guys know, some of you are bilingual, so you'll know that there's a word that we use one way in English and in Spanish, you're like, <laughs> yeah, we don't say it like that. Or in, or in, or in Portuguese, or lang- those of you that have multi-language, you understand, we may say it like this, but there's a more of a ramification of that word, and that's kind of what's happening here. And I, you know, a great example of that, one of my friends um, was a pastor in Mexico, and he said that his buddy up, up the mountain had a missionary come and speak for him. And the guy was, you know, an American, so he, he was, you know, monolingual. He only knew one language, that's American. And so, so this guy was translating for him, you know, and the guy's preaching, preaching. He got, he, he's about, you know, good 30 minutes into his message, and he felt like the Spirit of the Lord wanted him to stop preaching and just start ministering to people. So he just stopped abruptly. He says, all right, that's it. He says, I want you to tell all the adults, come on, let's have all the adults stand up. I want to pray for people. And so the guy's translating, nobody stands up. He's like, um, I think, tell him I want the adults, not the young people, just the adults, all the adults stand up. Nobody stands up. So now the American preacher, he's, he's a little frustrated. So he's like, right now, in the name of Jesus, I don't know why you're being rebellion. The guy's translating, right now, all the adults stand up. And all of a sudden, some little man in the back stands up. And then this little lady over here stands up. Four or five people stand up. And the whole time on the front row, the pastor's like, no, no, you're mistranslating. He was not translating adults. He was translating adulterers. So I'd like all the adults to stand up right here. And I'm just kidding. (laughs) You got nervous, didn't you, right there? You felt that like, Jesus, let me get out of the service. I'll never do it again. I'll never go back to that church again. And so what we see is in, in his name is wind breath, which is his characteristic, which is his nature. And I want you to get the grasp that the Spirit of the Lord is, or the Holy Spirit of the Holy Ghost, who he is as a person is the breath of God, the refreshing wind of God in our life. Jesus called him the comforter in one spot. He's supposed to lead us and guide us. We'll get into all these things in the days ahead. But I want to take out of his name, his nature, the wind, the breath of God, And I want to correlate that to what you and I know about wind. So if you will, write these down. Characteristics of wind, or we could also characterize this as the Holy Spirit. Characteristics of wind. Number one, wind is unseen. You don't see it. We've had a lot of it the last couple days here in the Dallas area, but you don't see it. can't really grasp it. And that's why some of you have a hard time with with the Holy Spirit, because you can't really see him. Well, you can't really see Jesus or God the Father either, right? So that's a faith walk. And look what John chapter 14 and verse 16 and 17 says. John 14, 16, and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Reference the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth, verse 17. The world cannot accept him. Why can't the world accept him? Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he what? For he lives with you and will be in you. So the Holy Scriptures qualifies. Look, the world can't see him. The world can't see him. You can't see him any. But he lives in you and with you. We may not be able to see him, but we can feel him. Just like we can feel the wind. 
I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know where it's going, but I can feel. I can feel the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who's nudged me. It was the Holy Spirit that nudged some of you to get up in the rain and come to church today. That's who nudged you. The feeling, the sense that you got. Man, I just, I don't want to be like this anymore. I can remember being away from God and being miserable in my own state of affairs and had this feeling, this sense come over me. I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want to live like, who nudged me? It sure wasn't the pit of hell. Wasn't Satan like, I'm beating you up so bad, you're ready to turn to God? Wasn't that? It surely wasn't my own intellect. Why? Because I enjoy sin. The Bible says sin is fun, but for a season. It was the Spirit of the Lord because the Bible says the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and the judge to come. The judgment to come. That's the Holy Spirit nudging you and I. That's the feeling when we get. I don't know if you've ever had this where the Spirit of the Lord has kind of just nudged you to say this to this person. They go, oh my God. How did you know that? <laughs> I am pushing on you, and no, I have no idea how that happened. Some of you, before you were even Christians, the Spirit of the Lord was pushing on you and nudging you, and you would do certain things. You're like, where did that come from? It was the Spirit of the living God. Why? Wooing you closer to God. That's who you and I are supposed to have fellowship with. He's unseen. I get it. Well, the wind is unseen, but that doesn't mean he's not there because you can feel him. You can sense him. And I'll tell you something. I know that we don't live on feelings, but it sure is good to feel what we're living on. Come on now. I am so grateful to feel the peace of God in my life when, I, when everyone else is frustrated. It's so good to feel in a sense joy in the midst of trial and tribulation and pain. Who gives me that? Where's that feeling coming from? It's what I cannot see. It's the fellowship that I have with the Holy Spirit interacting with me. Some of you, you need a little fresh feeling because you're dry and weary and frustrated. And I'm praying that by the end of this message today, you're going to call out to the wind of God, the Holy Spirit of God, if you will. Here's a second characteristic of winter or the Holy Spirit's nature, and that is wind is unpredictable. Wind is unpredictable. You can't tell it where to go. Look, I referenced it earlier, but John 3 and verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound. But you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is, stay with me, so it is with everyone, what? Born of the Spirit. When we get born again, the Spirit of the Lord comes and lives inside of us. We have this beautiful privilege to have a baptismal in the, in the Holy Spirit as well with a beautiful prayer language and all these pieces connected and power gets surging. And so what the scripture is telling us in the book of John, this is even, he's, he's quoting this and putting this out there. This is transpiring even before the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. So he's saying, listen, the wind goes and comes wherever it's, we don't really know what's coming from. We can feel it, we can sense it, but we cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with the spirit of God living and abiding in us. In other words, listen, you, you, you can't predict what the spirit of the Lord wants to do. You just got to follow the Holy Ghost. That's why we are in fellowship with him. You say, I really, I really struggle with that, and, uh, and, 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 and I have a difficulty with that. I know, and I've had that difficulty over time as well. But let me explain to you why this is a factor. The Spirit of the Lord and the unprediction, the inability to predict exactly what needs to happen every time in the same way, because we're talking about a relationship. We're talking about fellowship. We're not talking about the truths of the Word. We're talking about an interaction with the Holy Spirit. And so what you have is because that interaction is vital to our existence, that relational component cannot be stagnant and stale in the same way day in and day out. There's got to have life to it. I'll give you an example. Let's say I tell Miss Jamie, hey, I love you so much. And every Friday night, starting from here on out, I'm going to take you to McDonald's, get you a number one with a Diet Coke. That's date night. Right now, she'd probably be like, finally, at least I get a date night out of the whole thing. Who cares if it's McDonald's? 
But the first few Friday nights I would do that, she's like, okay, all right. But after about a couple months, she would probably look at me and go, that's all you got? That's the best we got. You're going to take me to McDonald's. This is your routine for the rest. 50 years, this is what I got to look forward to. It would be miserable. And so what happens is, what I love about the wind, the Holy Spirit, is that just because he did it this way last time doesn't mean that God wants it done that way this time. The word remains true. Everything is truth. God is, he is, his words do not change. They are forever and ever and ever. But our interaction relationally has these wonderful ups and downs and wonderful experiences and new experiences. Why? Because his mercies are renewed every morning because his relationship with us should be new and fresh. And what happened? Because otherwise, then we would always make, we'd start making doctrine out of relational pieces. For example, there was a season back here in the United States where people began experiencing holy laughter. The Spirit of the Lord would follow them. They'd just start laughing. It was cute. It's all get out. It was like, have you ever taken a two-year-old and tickled them to where they TT on themselves? That's what God was doing to a large portion of Christendom in the United States. It was magnificent. I had the experience. But then what happened was people started making doctrine out of it. That every service had to have laughter. So you go to preach and people go, <laughs> and they fall over the place. I'm like, dude, I'm trying to preach the word. Stop. Well, I can't help it. The Spirit of the Lord's doing that. No, he's not. Because you're creating disorder. You're creating confusion. And so, yes, he's unpredictable, but he's also orderly. Why? Because it's a relationship. Are you with me? Say yes. You say, man, that's interesting. You have any biblical example of that? Well, I have a wonderful biblical example. You can go look it up later, but it's found in Mark chapter 8 and verse 22. Jesus is brought, brought to Jesus as this blind man. His friends bring him to Jesus, and their opening statement is, will you lay hands on him? Because up until that point, Jesus laid hands on people and they're getting healed. Boom, 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 boom. Jesus, please lay hands on our blind friend. And Jesus does this. Nah, I don't think so. Takes him by the hand and takes him out of the city. Takes him out of the city. When he gets him out of the city, away from everybody, he goes, and spits in both his eyeballs. Can you imagine his friends are like, you done messed it up. What happened to the lay on the hand thing? Because you laid hands on that guy over there. He got right. He got healed. This one got healed. And now you're not going to lay hands on you. He's going to spit on our friend. And poof, his eyes open. Why? Because he's like, you're not putting me in a box, sucker. You're not going to. I'm not. Because then you'll tra- chase the strategy instead of the relationship. We as humans have this thing. We don't want to have a relationship. We just want to figure out how it's done and just do that all the time. We don't want to keep developing a relationship. So that's why you keep reading books and watching YouTube videos on how to fix your marriage instead of sitting down talking to each other. And that's the Jesus. You ain't doing that to me. You're going to have a relationship with me. And so guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to stir it up a little bit over here. Why? I'm going to do it a little different over here. Why? Because we're in a relationship. This is what the Spirit of the Lord is like. He's unpredictable at times. And so he has full reign. If he wants to mess up this service and the order that we have in place and wants to do something different, it's his service. He and I are in fellowship. You and he need to be in fellowship and let's let him lead us. Come on, you there? Say yes. Here's the third piece that you understand about wind and the nature of the Holy Spirit is that wind is powerful. Everybody say powerful. powerful. Have you ever been in a tornado? They're pretty powerful, aren't they? Anybody, who's ever been in a tornado in this room? Okay. So I came from Louisiana where we, didn't ha- we, had, we had hurricanes, and, uh, which are pretty powerful, but nothing like a tornado. So when I moved here 18 years ago, we were here the first nine months, and uh, all the sirens started going off. I was like, what is that? And they're like, they're like, the tornadoes, and they all took off running. I was like, oh. So I got my wife's minivan, and I began chasing the tornado. Lesson number one in chasing tornadoes, don't use your wife's minivan. That's a dumb thing. 
And so, and so I get, and the police are waving me off the roads, and I get within probably a mile or so from this tornado, and I get out of the van. And when I tell you, I, I mean, it is the most impactful moment. Of my, I've never seen this kind of power, you know? And I, I love that about that old movie, what was it, Twister or something, when the cow's flying through the air? I mean, that's, that's the imagery, right, that we have of this kind of power. That is the imagery of who the Holy Spirit is. He is power. In fact, on the day of Pentecost in, in Acts chapter 2, it says, and it seemed like tongues of fire came and wrestled, but it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them in great power. They felt the power. You know why so many of you are still struggling with the same sin? Because you're not in fellowship with the power. You don't have the Spirit of the Lord in fellowship with Him in such a way that you can say no to that thing and say, it has no power over me. I have power over it. The Spirit of the Lord lives upon me. The same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in you. The power of God. And Jesus said it like this in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And ye shall receive power after which the Holy Spirit's come upon you. The goal of the Holy Spirit in our life, one of the key goals is power. Not tongues, not giftings and all that. Those things are beautiful and wonderful, but power. I want my people who go to our church, the people that I'm in friendship and relationship with, to be able to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, not to be limited to every temptation that comes their way. I just can't stop it. I want you to have power over that. And that comes with fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That was God's answer to our humanity and our inability to overcome our own sin, was to give us the same power that Jesus had that rose him from the dead, the Holy Spirit, the relationship. Charles Finney was a 19th century attorney who turned to a revive, became a revivalist. Um, he served the Presbyterian churches for a number of years and is actually credited with um, the, the founder and the, 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 the guy charging forth the second great awakening here in the United States, which was a spiritual awakening that happened in the uh, upper New York area there on the East Coast, supernatural. He was also the father of modern revivalism. Charles Finney actually um, uh, was one of the key components, he and the leader, a couple other spiritual leaders of his time, uh, that promoted uh, social reform. Even, and after he had this experience with the Spirit of the Lord, he began to be one who, who was fighting against um, uh, abolition of slavery and equality of education for women and, 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 and people that didn't ha- get to be educated. And the reason why he would attribute the supernatural change that happened in his way of thinking was because of an encounter. And I want to read it straight out of his journal that he had some years into his Christian walk. He says, but as I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire or the fireplace, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost without any expectation of it, without ever having the thought in my mind that there was even such a thing for me, without any recollection that I'd ever heard the thing mentioned or by any person in the world. The Holy Spirit descended upon me as, in, in, as a manner that seemed to go through me body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love, for I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. The breath of God came upon him. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and he became one of the greatest revivalists in the history of the United States and potentially even the world. Charles Finney did more things to transform our nation. Why did these things happen? Once he got in fellowship with the Spirit of the living God. And he called him a wind. It was as though, he said, he, he said it, it, it fanned me into flame. It, it was like a mighty rushing breath of God inside of me. I tell you, there's power for you. 
as you and I come into relationship and fellowship. I'm sorry that people have misappropriated the Holy Spirit. But here's the beauty of what we're going to do in these next four weeks. We're going to look at what the Word says, not at what Pastor Adam says. Or not what your last church said. Or what some person on YouTube says. And this is going to be a journey. And all I ask for you to do is say, Holy Spirit, if you're real, I want to know you. And those of you that have known him, it's time for you to have a refreshing in that relationship because it's gotten a little stale for some of us. And I know that by way of the Holy Spirit explaining it to me. Here's the fourth characteristic of wind, and that wind is refreshing. Somebody say amen. Wind is refreshing. You know how much you love to go sit out. Listen, it's so funny. When you guys get around vacation time, I'll ask you, hey, where are you going? We're going to the beach, Pastor. We're going to go sit on the beach. I'm just going to sit and have that sea breeze just come across my face. And, I, and some of you ladies will start, you know, putting pictures out there on social media. And there you are with your toes on the edge of the water. The sun's going down. Real romantic. The wind is blowing. There's no concrete jungle of the DFW area. You're out there, man. The, and the seabirds are flying around and kind of stuff. And you're just a romantic moment. Your husband's in the, in the hotel room flipping through the channels on the cable. And you're sitting there. And it's the breeze of, God, the, breeze of the ocean just washing over you. And just, ah. So refreshing. That's the role of the Holy Spirit is to refresh us. Some of you burned yourself out trying to walk this thing out in your own strength. Trying to be good and not be bad. Trying to do good and not do bad. What you need is the refreshing of the Holy Spirit to refresh you, give you a restart, give you strength, get you back going again. Here's the last and final piece that I would say that wind does. And that wind shakes loose that which is corrupt. Put it on the screen for him, please. Wind, number five, shakes loose the corrupted, that which is corrupted, that which has become, in mine and your life, corrupted. My, my wife has this um, ap- apricot tree in our front yard. I don't know why she does this, but she keeps planting trees. I think she wants to live in the woods. I think that's what I figured out. And we live in Dallas, so it's a tough place. But So she planted this apricot tree a couple years ago. And last year, it put out a few little apricots. It was kind of cute. Well, this year, it went crazy. We cut it back. There must, there must be 500 apricots on this tree. And so we recognized them. And, 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 you know, the way it works in Cedar Hill is every bug figures out there's a fruit tree. Let's go! And they come and they try to destroy that fruit. So, and so Cohen sprayed it for us a couple times to, get to keep the bugs off of it. And I've come back around, and we tried to spray it a couple more times. But no matter what we're doing, there's still bugs getting in there. I mean, there's a portion of those pieces of fruit that are just getting rotted and so forth and so on. But I thought, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to show you a little clip of this tree. And, uh, and, and, and what has happened is the wind has begun to shake off that which is corrupted in the midst of the wind that we've been having because it's broken loose. So play that footage for them for just a second so they can see what I'm talking about. So there you go. There's our apricot tree. So what's happened is when the wind started blowing real, real, real strong in the last couple of weeks, all that which, that was corrupted, it couldn't hold on to the vine. It broke down and it fell to the ground. So only the good and the strong and the healthy fruit is still on the vine. Stay with me. Come on now. And the other stuff that's got corruption, if you'll let the Spirit of the Lord begin to move in and out of your life and you'll come into fellowship, he'll start shaking loose the junk that has, you tried not to have the junk in your life. You're trying not to let the corruption happen. But just because there is a demons out there that are 
trying to destroy your life, they begin to pick away at the good fruits of your life. And what the Spirit of the Lord will do, he'll start shaking the vine to where all that junk will fall down. And then guess what's so good about that? That fruit that's down on that ground, what it will do is it'll rot down in that ground, creating nutrients for the roots. Those roots will suck up that nutrients from that which is dead and was corrupted and begin to produce more fruit or come out of it. So everything that was horrible in your life, everything that you sinned about last week and last month, Jesus wants to shake that off. The Spirit of the Lord wants to shake it off, let it fall down there, corrupt a little bit, and then help you produce more fruit. But you and I have to come in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He'll blow across your dry soul. He'll bring refreshment to you. You keep trying to figure out how to do this thing, how to be good and, 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 and take all the sermons and do them just exactly like Pastor Allen's been preaching and trying to read your Bible, trying not to be bad. Friend, at the end of the day, God the Father's love, that's his role. With us. The Son's grace, that's his role. But it's God the Holy Spirit's role to be in fellowship with us, to strengthen us, to breathe life on us, to give us help to overcome. And you keep trying to do that without him. And you've cut out the strength of what God planned for your life. In ancient maritime situations, we had an area around the equator where the north winds and the south winds kind of met, right around the equator. And in that, the colloquial term became doldrums, a doldrum. And that's a space where the wind no longer blows because the north winds and the south winds kind of kind of create this space where there's no wind. And for ancient maritime captains, those who were taking their ships and going to the new world and back and forth to the old world and all the shipping that was happening in the 1800s, it became known amongst the captains that if you got in a doldrum, you were dead. A place where the wind was not blowing. A space where there was no wind. And they would find themselves at times being pushed off a course into these doldrums. They would just kind of happen based on the rotation of the planet and all these pieces. They would just kind of happen in these seasons. And you could be out there weeks, months, and you would find these ships floating months later, years later, all aboard dead because there was no rain, there was no movement, and they got stuck out in the ocean miles. And so they would try to row out of it and row out of it, but they couldn't get out of it. Because it would stretch for miles and miles and miles where there was no wind. Nowadays, we have all of our power, power uh, vehicles, and so they just trudge right through it. But in those days, the wind, they counted on the wind. And some of you are living your Christian life just like that. You're paddling and trying to get out of this dry season. You don't say, God, where are you? Where are you? He's like, I'm right here. But you got outside of where I'm blowing. You have no relationship or fellowship with my breath, with my wind, with the Holy Spirit, the nature of God fixing you and correcting you and blowing in the dry areas of your life. And you're sitting there like, God, I don't understand. I don't understand what's going on. I'm I'm doing everything I know to do. You're doing everything you know to do except allowing the Holy Spirit to breathe on you. Because when he breathes on you, he shakes loose the corrupt. When he breathes on you, he refreshes, he corrects, he brings life. Which means you have to let go and let God. And this is a tough place for a lot of people. As we come back into the weeks ahead, I'll teach you how to be in relationship with the Holy Spirit. But today, I want to call you. I want to call you to a place of refreshing. I want you to know the God of the Holy Spirit, to come into fellowship with him so that your life will not end up in a doldrum, dead with no way to get out of it. Would you stand with me all across the room? Let me minister to you for just a couple of moments.
I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads right where you stand. And then as a sign of surrender, though you may be uncomfortable, I would like you to lift your hands all across the room. This is what children do when they come running to their mom and their dad, saying, pick me up. And as you've got your hands lifted, I want you to invite the person of the Holy Spirit into your life. I can't do that for you. I can't make that happen for you. I'm asking you here and now, whether out loud, under your breath, but I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to come in fellowship with you, to come and be Lord of your life. If you felt dry and weary because there's been no activity in your Christian walk, there's been no Spirit-led life happening for you, would you just admit that to the Holy Spirit and say, I have gotten in a place where there is no breath of God, no Holy Spirit, but I don't want that anymore. Holy Spirit, come. He's a gentleman. He will not force himself on you. But invite him to come into your life and to lead you and to guide you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you so much for not leaving us as orphans. Now, Holy Spirit, come. Breathe on these, the sons and daughters of God. Let fresh wind come into their sails. Let a fresh breath in their lungs. Let the power of God begin to surge down their spine and back up their spine. Let the nudge of truth that is revealed by the Holy Spirit begin to be active. Oh, let sincerity happen. Let tears flow. Let engagement happen. Let the unpredictable be a part of our daily walk. Let life and life more abundantly come. I rebuke the devourer in Jesus' name. I rebuke the liar. I rebuke the liar who says they have no need of the Spirit of the Lord. Oh God, thank you for your precious gift the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, come. Breathe in us as individuals. Breathe in us. Breathe in this church. The life of God, the breath of God be on Church on the Hill. Lord, let every member, Lord, every person who calls upon the name of the Lord connected to us. Lord, let people get around them, Lord God, at work and at the mall and just say, I don't know, it's like life is on you. And be able to say, the breath of God is in me. The freshness of God's presence is on me every day, in me every morning and throughout the day. Breathe, Holy Spirit, come. Come into our lives. Baptize us afresh. You can put your hands down. I know your arms are tired. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to now give a call for anyone and say, Pastor, I I don't know what to do. I'm in a place where I know I'm not a Christian. I'm pretty sure that if I died today, I wouldn't go to heaven. Friend, I I got some good news for you. You came to the right place. So what do I need to do? Well, the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, he'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What was his role? What's the role of Jesus? Grace. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to be good for it. You just receive the grace. Maybe you say, Pastor, I used to be a Christian, but I walked away from God. Junk happened in my life. I just got ticked off. I just said, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. And I got frustrated. I walked away. But today I'm sitting here in this service. I've been listening. I feel God tugging at my heart. I miss him. And I know he misses me. I want a relationship back with him. What do I do? Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. He's the Christ. The son of the living God. He'll forgive you. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He'll receive you back as a son or a daughter. You say, Pastor, I've never heard these kind of teachings before. I don't really get it all. But my heart, my heart is like pounding in my chest. This is right. I don't understand it all intellectually. Friend, that's the beauty of a relationship. 
That's the beauty of the God that we serve. We can never com- completely comprehend him for his ways are higher than our ways. He's God. But we can accept him in faith. Let his grace wash over us. The love of the Father wants to wash over you today. If you've been away from God or you've never been a Christian, would you let me pray with you? I don't want to call you forward so everybody can see you. I don't want to hoorah and point you out. I just simply want you to get to make a deep, serious decision right here, right now. And I want to aid you in that decision. I want to help you with it. No one's looking around, but you know you're not right with God. You know that if you died today, you wouldn't go to heaven. You know you've been away from the Lord, but you're ready to make the change. You're ready to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Would you let me help you? No one's looking around. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Will you acknowledge that to God and to me by lifting your hand right where you're at and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm ready to make this decision. I want to pray. I want you to pray over me and ask. I want to ask the Lord into my life. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Quickly lift your hand. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? It's time, Pastor. I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm ready to be a Christian. God bless you. You can put your hand back down. Anybody else? Give out two or three more seconds. I'm not going to pull and tug and manipulate. I just want to give you the opportunity. That's God dealing with your heart. I'm not smart enough to to speak in a way that makes you want to receive God. Only God can do that. He's tugging at your heart. Anyone else? A couple more seconds. Pastor, that's me. I'm ready to serve God with all my heart. I saw you. Put your hand back down. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for your... Man, thanks for being real. Those of you that are lifting your hands, thanks for being honest. Amen. You can put your hands down. Now, I want to lead you in a prayer. A prayer of dedication. A prayer of connecting of relationship. A prayer of salvation. In fact, I'm going to get everyone in the audience to pray it out loud with those of you who lifted your hand. And I want you guys who lifted your hands to mean it with all of your heart. Maybe you say, Pastor, I didn't lift my hand. But I do want to mean this with all of my heart. Well, then pray it from the depths of who you are. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I surrender my life, my wants, my desires. I give them all to you. And here and now, I thank you for your grace. I receive what you did for me on the cross. 2,000 years ago and I declare in front of everybody Jesus is my Lord say it again Jesus is my Lord write my name in your book of life fill me with your Holy Spirit I promise to serve you forever and ever in Jesus name keep your head bowed for just a moment Father I pray for every man and woman who prayed that prayer for the first time or returning back to you prayer that cried out to you Lord God your word is so clear you don't need their money You don't need them to go to church. This was between you and them. And Lord God, as they cried out to you, your word says you you respond and you are now forgiven them and you've embraced them as sons and daughters. They belong to you. Lord God, they've still got so much to learn and you're going to be there for them. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come into fellowship with these who cried out to the Lord. Father, I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for transforming our lives. And Lord, I pray the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, begin to guard their hearts and their minds through Christ Jesus. And we call it as so in Jesus name. And everybody shouted amen and amen.